8 p.m. now. Anyway, so let's get started. It's always good to be on time. So thank you so much for joining me again for another session of Tuesdays with the Mental Catalyst. Last Tuesday was really uh, interesting. Uh, we talked about tomorrow not being promised any of us. Therefore, let us not hold grudges and beefs and carry emotional baggages. Let's not entertain negativity. Uh, this past, uh, just this month, I've lost two ex-employees. And uh, yesterday I lost a good buddy buddy. It was a big man in Ghana, Buffalo Boni. Uh, yesterday was on the news that he also had, had passed. So we have more people just popping and dropping. And uh, the signs are on the walls. So what it means is that we all have to take cue from them and reevaluate our lives. Let's look at the things that are most important and uh, let's find a way of living more fulfilled lives. So tomorrow is not promised us. Let us not take chances. Okay. So today we are going to talk about Michael going to America. That's Michael coming to America. So how did it all start? So I think it was uh, after A-levels, um, you know, so normally you do your O-levels, you do your A-levels, and then from there you apply for universities, and then you, you, you know, if you accept it, you go to you know, the university that has accepted you. Uh, so because I had flunked O-levels in Form 5, I had vowed to have the best of everything thereafter. So while sitting for A-levels, I said to myself that, you know what, I was going to go somewhere uh, where I would start a chance of having the best of life. And also, uh, at that time, you know, unlike today where most of us know that you can, uh, you can attain financial success, you know, by having your own business and uh, hustling and you can make it. But back in the day, you either had to be a doctor, a lawyer, you know, a scientist of a sort, and uh, anything else in between, your chances were pretty slim. So we all knew that, look, if we wanted to make it in life, we had to do it, uh, go to school. So I said to myself, well, where is the best place in the world to get the best education? I looked at, uh, you know, Europe, I looked at Canada, I looked at, you know, uh, the Cuba then. And it was obvious that the most powerful place was the United States of America. So I said to myself that America is where I have to be. So when my colleagues and friends were applying to local universities, I said to myself, well, I'm going to go to America. So then we had, I think we still do United States Information something, USIS, uh, which is affiliated to the uh, US Embassy here in Ghana. And they had a program where Ghanaians that wanted to go to the U.S. to study, you could go there and uh, they will orient you and uh, take you through the process. So I remember very well interacting with the head at the time, Nancy Kijeku, uh, who finally said, well, Michael, I think James Madison University may be a very good school for you to attend. It's in the D.C. metro area. I'm sure you have friends and probably some family there. And also the, uh, the school fees are pretty reasonable compared to some of the other super expensive schools. So we zoomed in and selected James Madison University and I applied to it. We had to take a tour for applied to it. And keep in mind that, you know, within that same period, I was also mourning my best friend, Amma, who had passed. And uh, 
So it was a mixed feeling of, of leaving, knowing where it was that we had plans and stuff like that. So I got my I-20 and then quickly rushed the embassy, that's the embassy, the US embassy, uh, to get my visa. And I remember very well, I had a gentleman that I didn't know, but I met him at, you know, uh, at the place. And he was ahead of me. And he had all his documentation. He had a big bank statement. And then he went, you know, for the interview. And then once he was done, I looked at him and I asked, how did they go? And he shook his head, but, you know, he was denied. You can imagine, my heart sunk. I was like, oh my goodness, this guy didn't get it. It's going to be a bad day. So I went, and there was the cancer in front of me. I said, Michael, wow, I see you're going to James Madison University. I said, yes, I'm going to James Madison University. What are you going to study? I said, I'm going to study accounting. Very interesting. How long are you going to stay in America for? And I said, 10 years. I said, 10 years? But undergrad is only four years. Then I said, well, I'm going to do four years. I'm going to do a master's. I'm going to work. I'm going to start a business. Then I'm going to come back home. So I'm going to spend a total of 10 years in America. He looked at me surprised because you are supposed to say you're going to spend four years and come back. Then he asked me, what ties do you have with Ghana? And why should I believe you're going to come back? I said, well, my grandmother is the only child. She gave birth to my mom only. My mom gave birth to me only. So we have a very super tight family, and I owe it to them to come back and look after them in their old age. That is why I'm going to go do all of those things. And then when I come back, I will be well equipped to also start a business and then also contribute and look after my loved ones. Then I saw him smile a little bit. I was still very, very nervous. My voice was breaking. Then he asked me that difficult question. How are you going to pay for it? I did not have a bank statement. My father did not give me one because at that time it was not safe to give a bank statement uh, when you work with the government. So I didn't have one. Then I said, well, we have a big cocoa farm in the village. We have a house in an airport residential area that gives us rental income, which is in dollars, coupled with my mom's income from the bank and then my dad's from the, the nation's food bank. <coughs> Obviously, they'll be able to take care of my, my studies in the U.S. Uh, with some change. He looked at me, paused for like 30 to 45 seconds. I wonder what he was doing. And he said, okay, go and come back in the afternoon for your visa. I did not believe it. I left the place. Outside the embassy, I looked up into the sky, looking up to God and saying, okay, Baba God. I know you did, but this one is another miracle. You've done it. So I went to my dad's place in the afternoon, told him, well, I've just secured my visa and I need the money to go pay the visa fees. He was very, very surprised. He gave me the money. I went, collected my passport, rushed through the pages, and lo and behold, the visa stamp was in there. The visa stamp was in there. Because my I-20 came late, we had to rush to get me to America because school was going to get started in the fall, it was in August. Flights were all kind of like booked and the only available flight that my dad could get me was the British Airways. Economy seats were full, was taken, so he had no choice but to get a business class. So I flew business class from Accra to Heathrow, London, and then to 
Dallas in Virginia. My guardian, quasi quasi Inkum, picked me up. I spent about 48 hours with him. And he drove me south to Harrisonburg, James Madison University. I got there and I was like, damn, this place is nice. The buildings were nice. It was, you know, the school had been established, I think, 1908. So you had all of this kind of like antique feel to it. A couple of ways of modernization. The lawns were nicely manicured. It was like really, really nice. Uh, I saw a lot of white people for the very first time. Uh, prior to going to America, I think I'd only gone to Liberia and Togo, so I'd never really been out. I was very surprised at the experience. Uh, so I was settled in my dorm. I had my dorm mate, I mean my room, uh, Wayland Hall. David Laventor was my roommate. He was a junior, he was in the wrestling team. And he was a super religious guy, buffet guy. So I think after all was said and done, we went to dinner. He's a channel, you know, a channel of pins, so we went to dinner. And uh, then it was more like serve yourself. So you go around, dish little meals here and there. And uh, I remember dishing myself some lasagna because it looked close to red red to me. And uh, no long after that, I had to rush back to my dorm because my tummy had turned. I realized that well, lasagna and coke were not going to be good for me, so I had to look for my garden shooter, which luckily I had taken with me. So, first semester started, you know, we hustled through. Second semester in the freshman year, I remember I took this course, uh, CIS, Computer Commercial Systems. Uh, and uh, in that class, the teacher was talking about Windows. Office, mouse, Excel. Now, the mere mention of Windows to me meant that it was like a door and a window because windows are where you open to look outside, you open to get fresh air, you open to you know fix your blinds or your curtains, right? Then that was Windows. It talks about Office, and to me, Office was basically a place where people go and do what and work and get paid. But here, I was sitting in the class with some things on the you know, the projector being projected on the screen. And I'm hearing Windows and Office. The next thing I hear was Excel. And to me, Excel meant that, look, you do well at something. So I was kind of like really, really lost. And the one that really got me was when he talked about how to use the mouse. And to me, the mouse represented the cousin of a rat. So at that point, I was completely lost. But guess what? He was talking about Windows 95, the operating system by Microsoft. He was also talking about the Office Suite, which was made up of Word and Excel and whatever. And also using the mouse to interact with the computer. So that was my first interesting lesson introduction to computers, where I was totally lost. And this is very significant because fast forward, you know, 20 years plus, whatever. Today, I'm an innovator leveraging smart technologies all over the place. A guy who did not understand what Windows was then and what um, Office and Mouse meant. But during that same semester, I remember I had a good friend at Spellman, Mansa. You know, we happened to meet, you know, whilst we were both trying to get to America, uh, you know, at the USIS place. So she went to Spelman and I went to James Madison University. And you know, anytime I went to the computer lab, I went behind the Macintosh computer and I would open, you know, uh, what do you call it, a chat client. 
Then we didn't have WhatsApp, Signal, Telegram. We didn't have MSN, Messenger, Yahoo Messenger, you know, AOL chat. We didn't have any of that. It was command line. Okay, when we say command line, it means that you're opening a terminal and then you're timing as, you know, a set of commands and then, you know, you're going to interact. So I opened a chat, terminal, console, and then I'll connect. Then I'll type, hello, how are you? Then she'll reply. But I was amazed because I couldn't understand how somebody who is so thousands of miles away from me could instantaneously reply to a message I just sent. So I got up, looked behind the, uh, the Macintosh computer, and I saw the power cord, and I saw the Ethernet cord. But I was confused because this is witchcraft, this is juju. There is no way that somebody who is so far away from me could respond to me whilst I was in the charting. So it caught my interest. So I noted that, that you know what, okay, this thing is pretty interesting and it can be very transformative. So fast forward, so that was first semester, you know, second semester we got it done. The second semester, we had a department. Uh, at that point, you know, things were beginning to slow down back at home. My dad's financial situation was beginning to change because of some political issues back and forth. So then I had to get a job on campus during the summer to obviously make some money to you know, sort myself at least get my books going. So there was this computer information systems department moving from an old book. West Africa, what are you doing? And then he says, oh, we're actually uh, installing uh, Windows NT server. We want these workstations to connect to it so they can join the domain and you know, the resources can be shared. And just the way he dazzled me with all the plenty English, I was like, Charlie, this thing is powerful. You know, so him and I became friends. And I'll tell you a lot more about him later. It's one of the relations that I cherish to date. So that also introduced me to the power of computers. But whilst going through all of that during school, I realized that my passion for what I went there to study, which was accounting business administration, was waiting. I was beginning to lean towards computers because I realized that it could truly be transformative. Transformative. So then I started researching and reading a lot about it. I spent a lot of time in the library reading and learning. And then I remember attempting to write my own, my first web uh, page.
application uh, open a notepad then you didn't have all the IDEs you had to write raw syntax so then I would type you know I'll write a syntax save it and open it and then view the page but once I was doing that I quickly realized that you know what my logics were off I was not cut out to be a programmer or a developer so even though I appreciated what technology could do I also knew that I could not be a developer and this is very important in life we have to figure out the things that we are good at and focus on them a lot of times we do things that we are not good at, we don't really have the strength in, but for one reason or the other, we force and we push ourselves. It's very, very important to always know that you are doing what you're good at and you love what you're doing, because that's how you're going to excel and that's how you're going to survive when the, top, the times get tougher. So I, I identified that one, I didn't really want to still do accounting, even though I was far into it. Two, even though I, I like technology, I was not going to be a developer or a programmer, so I knew that. So at the same time, I remember during the second uh, semester, yes, we went to Walmart to shop. And I happened to see the poster that I have, I have on my wall now, Justification for Higher Education. And it struck a chord because I knew very well that the only way to make it was to go to you know, formal education and get the very best and all the way to the very top. Secondly, I also knew that uh, I had to be consistent and I had to ride a wave. So I got a poster, put it in my dorm room, which uh, most of my good friends then always remember me for. Because anytime I saw it, it was a reminder of Michael, no matter what the hardships are, which I'm going to be telling you guys, you know, as the sessions roll by, do not give up, find a way to, you know, get through with it. Now, why is this important? It's important because a lot of times, most of us will have adversities, will have shortcomings, we will have things that will make us feel like failures, we will have situations where we doubt ourselves, we will have situations where some people may be suicidal, uh, we will have situations where people will mock you, bully you, laugh at you, you know, and all of the bad things. But I think all of those things are blessings in disguise, depending on how you look at them. When people mock you, when you feel like a failure, when people say mean things to you, when your, 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 you know, your co-workers, your boss tell you you will not amount to anything, you're a failure, they deny you a promotion, you know, and all of those things. Don't take it personal. Process it and create this reservoir of place where you dump all of these things and let it motivate you. Let it motivate you. A lot of times people let those things break them. Never allow anything to break you. Tap into that reservoir and let it be your rocket fuel. Let it fire you up and say, you know what, I am going to make it. Have this set of reminders that you can tap into. Most times we look, we look to people to get motivation. We look to people to find strength. Look, we all have the ability to cultivate our own strength. Okay, how do I do it? I always tap into that reservoir and I have a way of talking to my God. I cannot pray more than two hours, I mean two minutes. Any prayer that I have to pray to God and it's more than two minutes, I find myself repeating myself. So what I meant is, look, I'm not a type who can do the long fasting and praying and, you know, the tongues and all of those things, no. But when I do my two minutes with Him, it's very, very powerful. And there are times when I challenge Him, you know. I remember there are times when I wonder if He truly existed. Obviously, being a Christian, you know that there's God. But there are times when you want him to prove to you that he does exist. One, when he saw me through my, 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 my resetting of my O-levels, with me using about 25% of my, you know, my effort, that was a manifestation of him and that was a miracle. 
Second one was me actually going for an American visa at that time, not having a backup as to if I don't get it, you know, whether I was going to get in admission to any of the local universities. That was faith. I believed in him and I had a word with him. I said, God, make it happen. And he made it happen. So tap into that reservoir of the things that will fool you and then also hold on to faith. Hold on to faith because without it, it's tough. It's very, very tough. Very, very tough. So now here I was, a guy who had never really hustled, a guy who doesn't know how to do fiscal things, I'm not handy. Second year, sophomore year, now I had to find a job to start supporting myself. So obviously as an international student, you're only entitled to work on campus 20 hours a week or so. So I started working in a dining hall, you know, making sure the food stands were ready for the students to come and eat. Thereafter, go clean, wash their plates and stuff like that. Whilst, you know, whilst they were done, they could go eat and do their homework and stuff. And then I was there with some of my, you know, minority friends and obviously some of the Americans as well. And we were all hustling. But for me, it was an interesting experience because now life has really started and I was really, really on my own. I had to start learning how to feed myself, how to hustle. But it was a defining moment and it positioned me for the bigger things that were ahead of me. So in a nutshell, one, you need to figure out if you're at the right place or not. And if you're not at the right place, leave. Like they'll say, you're not a tree. Don't be there. Two, dream big and go after it. Education is important, but it's not everything. But if you're going to go for it, go for it in a way that, look, at the end of the day, you're like, you know what, I did it. Okay? Lastly, also set yourself free when you're carrying your emotional baggage. Just drop them. Drop them. Don't carry them. Let them go. As we all age, we're going to look back and say, had I known, I wish I did this, I wish I did that, I wish I didn't do this. Those things are what? What's under the bridge? You can't change them. But the things we do going forward are important. I wish I knew the things I know now. I think my life would have been a lot different. But also because I believe in God, I know that there were lessons he was teaching me. So I can tap my chest and say, you know what? I have no regrets and I have no beef with God because he's been there for me. And only two years ago, I was telling a good friend that, you know what? I always have conversations with myself and I always have conversations with God. And I was telling my friend, you know what? I even know how I'm going to live this world. I'm going to be 85 years old. I am going to be seated at my beach house in my rocking chair and I close my eyes and I go. That is the conversation or one of the conversations I've had with God as to how I want to leave this world. Whether that is going to happen or not, that is my plan. So in a nutshell, let us all have plans. Let us do our best to pursue those plans. Those plans will change, but let's be consistent with them. But whilst we're going at them, let's learn to be a good human being. And a good human being is where you love, you forgive, you let go, you help, you assist. Session three, I think I mentioned, you know, my good friend, Kujosa, see that I was competing with. Second semester, he also came to James Madison University. In life, let's learn to share. When you discover something good, you have something good, 
Try and carry your friends, your loved ones alone. Don't be selfish. So when I found this Martin University, I wanted my brother and my friend who just asked it to be there with me. Kudu came to James Madison University and also became what? He, he was an athlete and got an athletic scholarship. In no time, we were living off campus and he was my roommate. And this was somebody that I just started a small healthy competition with. But he has been a significant part of my life to, to date. So next week, Tuesday, we're going to meet again. But until then, please, Take your COVID protocol seriously. It's no joke. It is no joke. Most of us have underlying conditions that we don't know. So let's not take chances. Protect yourselves. But whilst you're doing that, don't forget to pray. Don't forget to be a good human being. And whatever dreams you have, don't give up on them. Go after them because when it's all said and done, life is beautiful and you're going to be happy. Take care until we meet again. I love you guys. Bye-bye.